This is Issues 2022. I'm Steve McIntosh, and our guest is Laurie Chandler, Education Manager, Child Advocacy Center of Sedgwick County. Welcome to Issues 2022. Nice to have you with us. Nice to be here. Thank you. As, well, as just a little explanation, uh, Lori, what exactly is the Child Advocacy Center of Sedgwick County? The Child Advocacy Center is a place that brings together um, law enforcement, social services, um, DCF, advocacy, and therapy under one in one facility to promote the safety, health, and emotional well-being of abused children and their caregivers. Um, and and determine what how to best serve children who've been abused. Okay, so you're the ideal person for April Child Abuse Prevention Month, at least uh, for this purpose. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says at least one in seven children have experienced child abuse or neglect in the past year in the United States. Now, this is likely an underestimate because many cases are unreported, I, I would presume. And in 2020, 1,750 children died of abuse and neglect in the United States, do you have do you have local statistics to to share with us on this, Laurie? I do have some. Um, I can tell you that the State Child Death Review Board um, reported 362 child fatalities in 2019. Those are the most recent numbers available because um, once a year completes, they review all of the cases the following year and then produce the reports. Um, so those are the that's the most recent um, child death fatality um, report that I have, and the manner of deaths are classified into several different categories. There's natural and intentional injuries um, that includes things like car accidents, drownings, and fires. Then there's the homicide, and then child abuse homicides. Um, then of course suicide, and then some that are undetermined. There were 23 child homicides in 2019, and 8, or 38%, were the result of child abuse. Oh, and uh, you had, those were statewide figures, right? Correct. Yeah, okay. Uh, any any can- Sedgwick County or, or local numbers on that or not? No, sorry, I don't no have numbers? those. Okay. Uh, now, the CDC is defining child abuse as any act or series of acts of commission or omission by a parent, caregiver, or another person in custodial role that results in harm, potential for harm, or threat of harm to a child. That seems like a pretty broad definition to me, but we're obviously looking at more than only a documented physical injury, are we not? Oh, exactly. Um, There are many ways a child could be um, being abused that would not necessarily cause physical injury. For example, neglect or child sexual abuse may not have physical injuries. Okay. And the CDC goes on to define those uh, four types of child abuse. I'm going to let you kind of elaborate on each one. Tell me what you can about each one, if you could. First of all, the the list, first on the list is physical abuse. Right. Well, Kansas law defines several forms of child abuse, including physical abuse, um, sexual abuse, and human, which includes human trafficking, emotional abuse, um, physical neglect, medical neglect. I think lack of supervision, abandonment, educational neglect, and then substance-affected infants. Mm-hmm. And all those um, forms are defined in Kansas statute as reasons for reasons for investigation. Physical abuse uh, can be, I suppose, 
anything from beating to uh, uh, anything to clear up, to, as you mentioned earlier, the homicide of a child, which is disturbing to everyone. Exactly. Okay. That's correct. Uh, physical, what about uh, uh, sexual abuse? How widespread is that? What do you see in, in your experience? Well, I think people are usually pretty shocked to see that, like in Cedric County, for instance, we have approximately 60 um, professionals in law enforcement, DCF, and the Child Advocacy Center Therapy and Advocates um, that this is the work they do every day is working child sexual abuse cases in just Cedric County alone. So when you figure, you know, 60 professionals that spend every day all day working those cases, that's a lot. Um, so I think people are usually pretty surprised by um, how much sexual abuse that we see right here in Sedgwick County. How would, what are the ages on, on the victims there? Could it be as very, very young, deep and up to, well, what are the ages? Zero to 17 are the, um, is the age group that we investigate, um, sometimes through 18, well, through 17, so um, to up to 18. And um, we see every age group, really. Um, we unfortunately sometimes see infants, um, of course, those are difficult to investigate because a lot of times those children are nonverbal. Um, and so, um, but we do investigate any and all allegations in any age group. How much, how much is, it, is that tied in with uh, human trafficking? Do you know? Well, we investigate human trafficking cases <clears throat> as part of sexual abuse um, allegations at the Child Advocacy Center. Um, because human trafficking is a form of child sexual abuse. Sure, sure. Now, let's talk about emotional abuse. What is What exactly does that mean, Laurie? Emotional abuse is when an action or, omit, or omission has um, created a, an environment of fear or harm to a child. Um, that could be anything from name-calling um, to... Um, you know, uh, degrading a child, embarrassing a child. Um, it could be um, children who witness abuse in the home, maybe domestic violence, those sort of things. Well, and this is, it occurred to me, for you to rely on the child coming forth, they may not even be aware that they're being emotionally abused. So I, how are you going to track it? you got to have somebody else see it, huh? Oh, exactly. That's one of the, that's one of the most um, frustrating things. Um, a lot of children do not realize that what they're experiencing isn't normal. And so um, that's why a lot of times there's delayed disclosures with children who've been abused um, because they don't even realize that, that they're being abused um, and that, that it's not happening to everyone. So once they do just, once they do realize that or know something isn't right, um, the hope is that then they'll reach out to someone that they can trust, a trusted adult, and disclose what has been occurring so that we can get some services and help in there for them. You say that uh, neglect is, is a form of child abuse. Uh, d- could you define that for me? What exactly is uh, a neglect of a child? Well, neglect can be a lot of different things, um, but it can be things like um, a home that is unsafe for the child to live in. It could be um, no food, lack of food, nutrition, lack of medical care, um, educational neglect. Maybe they're not getting to school like they should. Um, sometimes parents have like drug and alcohol issues or mental health issues and they're unable to get the children to school or they do not, they choose not to get the children to school. 
Um, so all of those things can be neglect. There's a lot of different things that can fall under the category of neglect. It's a pretty broad category. In fact, when we break down the statistics, um, the that's the largest category of cases that are screened in for investigation. Mm-hmm. They fall under the, under the category of neglect. Let's talk about it for just a second, if we may, uh, the, the abuser, the person who abuses a child. Is there a definition uh, that you have of who might most often be an abuser? Yeah, the perpetrator um, is usually someone that the family knows and trusts. In fact, um, 90% in child sexual abuse cases, the victims know their abuser. So that's a large number. I know I grew up with like stranger danger, and I think that's still very important, but um, I think that we need to also be um, educating people about the fact that um, in 90% of the cases, um, the, the victims know their abuser. It is not a stranger. And regarding when we talk about um, child abuse homicides, about 49% um, of those deaths, the suspected perpetrator was a biological parent of the child. Mm. And then with, um, I think it's mother's significant others um, was um, the suspected perpetrator in 27% of child abuse homicides. That is the person who reports the news every day and has for many years. That's the one that gets to me when it's the, uh, it's the boyfriend that somebody left their kid, they left him in charge of their child and, and a tragedy occurs. I know, right? Mm, that's yeah. yeah. It always seems like that's the ones that we hear the most about. Right. Right. Hey, uh, you're listening to Issues 2022 on the Advoca- Advocacy, <laughs> excuse me, you're listening to Issues 22 on the Odyssey radio stations, about to take over your job there. Our guest is Lori Chandler, Education Manager, Child Advocacy Center of Sedgwick County on this uh, Child Abuse Prevention Month of April. Now, Lori, what are the long-term effects uh, for the victims of child abuse? Well, child maltreatment can be linked to um, later physical, psychological, and behavioral consequences as well as costs to society as a whole. Um, The consequences may be independent of each other, but they also may be interrelated. For example, um, abuse and neglect may stunt physical development of a child's brain and lead to psychological problems, such as like low self-esteem, which can later lead to high-risk behaviors, such as substance abuse. So the outcomes for each child may vary widely, and are affected by a combination of factors, including the child's age and developmental status when the maltreatment occurred, um, the type, the frequency, duration, and severity of the maltreatment, and the relationship between the child and the perpetrator. What are, what's the impact on families, Lori? Oh, it's immense. So when... Um, a family experiences, you know, abuse doesn't just affect the child. It does affect the entire family. And so when um, a family is, is faced with this t- sort of trauma, um, it affects all of them. And, for example, there could be um, financial um, issues that arise out of that. Um, for example, maybe the alleged perpetrator is, um, has to be incarcerated or has to leave the home. And they may be the person who typically is um, paying the bills. Um, so that could have a impact on the family's financial status, um, emotional well-being, just sort of that grief process that families have to go through, um, you know, when they've experienced something traumatic um, like abuse. 
Um, they could have um, change in the household composition, kind of what I was saying before, maybe the perpetrator has, has to leave the home. They could have, um, of course, the physical injuries that could that could happen to the child could then have impacts for the family. There could be multiple appointments the family has to go to. Um, just sort of a change in their ro- routine. Um, kind of their everyday life may change for a while. Um, and just kind of overcoming the emotional and psychological problems for the whole family um, can have a huge impact. Now, how are abuse cases most often reported? They go through the schools, medical facilities, police? Yes, exactly. All three, yes. All yes, of the yes. above, huh? um, the mo- Yes, all of the above. The most common professional report sources are educational um, personnel, mm-hmm. and that's at about 21%. Law enforcement personnel um, comes in just right below there, and then medical personnel and social service staff um, are the majority of the reports. Well, you would think one of the uh, well, one of the signs would be something physical, like uh, the child would show up with bruises or something like that. Uh, are there other signs that a, that a child is being abused that maybe are not not quite so obvious? Sure. Yeah, there are. I mean, like you said, there's the obvious: the bru- the bruises, welts, bite marks, burns, you know, fractures, you know, those those sort of things. Um, but then you also have things like um, sexually transmitted diseases or infections. Um, you could have pelvic inflammatory disease. You could see um, behavioral problems. So maybe a child appears frightened of a parent or caregiver, or a child is disclosing the abuse. Uh, you could see runaway behaviors, sleep problems, including nightmares, or maybe the child has some regressive behaviors where they begin um, wetting the bed or their, their, their clothes, and they have already been potty trained. Um, you can also see just changes, overall changes in behavior is important to look for. So if a child is normally um, very um, outgoing and um, bubbly and rambunctious and suddenly they're very quiet and um, isolating themselves, you know, any, any sudden change in behavior is a big indication um, that something needs to be looked into. And then um, just really... There's so many things. It, every child is so different, and so it's more about knowing the child and knowing when you see something that isn't right for that child. Right. Well, what, what should we do if we suspect that a child is being abused? Report, report, report. <laughs> um, reports of suspected child abuse and neglect should be um, made to the Kansas Report Center, and um, that number is 1-800-922-5330. Or people can also go online and make reports at dcf.ks.gov. Now, if somebody would come back and let's say you go to investigate, it it appears to me that there is a possibility that uh, somebody could just do some some harm to a person that may or may not be a perpetrator or a a suspect. Uh, So there will be an investigation. I mean, not automatically you're going to go in and take a child out of a situation, right? Right. No, that's so very true. And I think that's um, something that people don't understand is how that system works. And we do training that explains more about what happens after an investigation is made um, at our at our um, at our child advocacy center. So but when a report is made, it goes through a screening process and it deter- to determine whether or not the allegations that are reported 
meet the statutory definitions that we kind of talked about earlier mm-hmm. um, to be investigated for abuse and neglect. If they do meet that, those definitions, then the case is screened in for investigation and assigned to um, a social worker and then or an investigator, and then um, they begin that investigative process. The idea is to find the facts, to figure out what exactly is going on in a very child-friendly way and to best serve the family and keep families together whenever possible. Should we ever consider direct immediate intervention? In other words, taking, taking the matters into our own hands on something like this? No, I would not recommend that. Um, okay. You know, we, of course, should be looking for signs of, of stress and poor parenting skills, social isolation. We should be looking for those kind of things with families and then offering them support. So I think we could have immediate intervention in, in that way. But um, if we have concerns, if you have concerns that a child is being abused or neglected immediately or you see that they're being abused, it's, it's obvious that someone does something in front of you, for instance, um, then we would recommend that they call 911. What treatment and care facilities are available to victims? Uh, shelters. Let's talk about shelters for a minute. What's available? Well, for children, we have the Wichita Children's Home. So, And then we have a variety of different um, you know, foster homes and, and other options for children. But there's many great um, programs that serve victims and their caregivers um, that aren't facilities necessarily, but um, can provide great treatment services, um, including the Child Advocacy Center, Kansas Children's Service League, Calm Care, Mental Health Association, the Pando Initiative, um, gosh, I'm just, ICTSOS. Um, and then there's also 1-800-CHILDREN, which provides 24-7 judgment-free parenting support through a call line and resource directory. Do you, is there any possible, is it possible for abusers to be rehabilitated uh, and to stop doing this kind of behavior? Well, there's always hope. Um, yeah. we, we, you know, we do hope that with effective inter, um, and, and intensive treatment programs, rehabilitation is possible. What, uh, what impacted, uh, I ask this every week on, on this interview segment, what impact did the COVID pandemic have on reported cases of child abuse, if any? I understand it has had an impact. It did have an impact. Um, the Department for Children and Families saw a decrease in abuse and neglect reports during the pandemic, um, most likely due to the fact that children had less contact with adults outside of the home. So, um, however, although we, they did see that decrease in abuse and neglect reporting, there was an increase reported by law enforcement in, um, in online solicitation cases, um, probably due to the increase in all the activity online, right? Because we all suddenly were thrust into this virtual world, including our children, because um, they were learning online, and perpetrators knew that, and so they were um, using that time and access um, to to gain access to the children. You know, uh, I know there are just a number of police and uh, police officers, educators, social workers, folks like yourself who are involved in uh, in trying to protect their kids and keep them safe. What what motivates them? What motivates you? What what gets you going to do this kind of work? Saving the children, right? It's all about that. You know, if we can if we can help one child, you know, we've made a huge difference because the ripples from the effects of abuse on one child are enormous. 
like we talked about before, it's not only the child who's affected, it's the family and then eventually society that's affected. And so really um, the passion comes from just wanting to make a difference in the world, and we can do that one child at a time. Everybody who hears stories like this or about child abuse, I think, is affected negatively. It concerns all of us. But uh, are there success stories as well? In other words, are there some stories that have a happy ending when it comes to child abuse? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in fact, I think that um, a lot of the cases do. Um, you know, there's some great services out there. There's some hard workers that are really trying to provide the best for families and their children. And, you know, we, we know through research and data that um, if we're going to help children, we have to help their families and the people that are taking care of them, right? And so, it, you know, I think that, um, you know, we just got to keep doing the work every day and putting one step in front of the other and getting out there and, and trying to make a difference. Like I said, one, one child can make a huge difference. Well, obviously, uh, Sedgwick County is involved in this, uh, in funding, funding programs and services and employees, the police department. There are a lot of government agencies involved, but you're also working, as, as I understand it, with private industry and private uh, organizations as well. Yes, we are. Uh, maybe. Yes, we, we collaborate with, with many, many different organizations in the community. All right. Well, again, uh, every time we hear about child abuse, it, it seems to... It gets our it gets our attention, and uh, we wish you luck and, and the best uh, with you and, and the other folks to, who are working with this problem. That uh, maybe someday you can work yourself out of a job. What do you think? That would be that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me ask you. That and, would be amazing. I've got time. Let me ask you one more one more question. I I like to ask this. Uh, are you from where are you from, uh, Lori? I'm from Wichita, Kansas. Uh, you're Wichita, Kansas. And uh, what what actually motivated you? Do you ever th- think when you were growing up that I'm going to work with children, or is it something that motivated you, some revelation or something? No, actually, this is not a great story, but it was just an accident. (laughs) But um, no, I, in college, I just was taking a lot of courses um, surrounding um, advocacy on many different levels. And um, when I was assigned to my practicum, it was with children, and I thought, oh, no, I don't know about this. (laughs) And I immediately, I was assigned to the Exploited Missing Child Unit. And I immediately knew that that's where I needed to be. I had no idea that this, these things were happening in our community. Um, I did not come from that from that background. And when I saw what was going on, I knew I had to get involved and do something. All right. Well, Lori, again, thank you for being with us. We appreciate the work that you do, and uh, best of luck to you. Okay? Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate the time. Our guest is Lori Chandler, Education Manager, Child Advocacy Center of Sedgwick County. Again, this is uh, April is Child Abuse Prevention Month across the nation. And that's all for this edition of Issues 2022. We'll be back next week. Thank you for listening. I'm Steve McIntosh.